Hi, this is Sarah. I'd like to thank you for listening to this season of What's So Funny. We are currently on hiatus while we gear up for next season, but when we return, we'll be talking about the same great era of comedy, but in a brand new way. Enough from me. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to What's So Funny, a comedy podcast where we talk about some of the most influential and controversial comedy albums from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh. Here's your host, Dave Schwenson. Well, listen to that applause. Hi, I'm Dave Schwenson, and today I'm joined by Logan Rashad. Hi, Dave. It's good to be back on the show. Well, I'm excited about the comic we're going to be talking about today, the legendary. And they're all legends on the show, by the way. Of course. Every (laughs) single one of them. But we're going to be talking about Dick Gregory and his 1961 album, In Living Black and White. This is a fantastic album. It's the first one he put out. Yes. It was filmed live at the prestigious Playboy Club in Chicago. Yeah, and you know, it was a last-minute booking. He was filling in for Professor Irwin Corey who was a very well-known comedian at that time. Matter of fact, he's the first really headlining comedian I met when I went to the New York City Improv when I was managing that club. My first night as manager, he came in about 3.30 in the morning, and we put him on stage, and he was up there until mm, about 4, 4.30 in the morning. It was just quite an experience to see this guy, because oh he was, gosh, again, your first night, legend. too. Yeah, my first night. So. That's incredible. <laughs> but anyway, he couldn't make the show, and Dick Gregory was the fill-in act. We're talking 1961. They had this awful, horrible thing of segregation going on. You really did not have black comedians playing in white clubs. I know it sounds horrible now, but that's what it was. Right, he was one of the first to really perform comedy for a white white audience. audience. Basically, they didn't play the white clubs, and Dick Gregory was discovered by Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy. People right away, they think of the magazine, well, the Playboy pinups and all this. But, you know, Hefner really opened up a lot of eyes, a lot of minds. And he saw Dick Gregory in a primarily black nightclub in Chicago and thought he was really funny and hired him to fill in for Professor Irwin Corey. Dick Gregory was going to this Playboy club to do the show that night. He got lost. He didn't know where it was. He was on a bus. He had like 40 cents in his pocket, he said. I saw it in an interview. And he got off at the wrong stop, and it was a blizzard and snowing. And he finally saw the the marquee for the Playboy club, and he made it. But he didn't find out that they had called and tried to cancel him. Right, because they saw their audience. Yeah. Yeah, I saw him talk about that in an interview. They had an all-white audience, and they were Southern businessmen. And they were trying to call him frantically, like, please don't come. We'll still pay you, but we don't think this is the right crowd. And he ended up there anyways and killed. Yeah, he had a great set. They loved him. A lot of laughter. Hugh Hefner and everyone was so impressed, he gave them Dick Gregory a contract for, I don't know, maybe a years-long contract to play the Playboy Clubs, which at that time, again, 1961, that's really before the comedy club era. Yeah, this was like unheard of at the time. Yes. I mean, you played nightclubs. You played theaters, those sort of things when you're comedians. So when he got this, it became a big, big deal. It made him a star. And again, it opened the door for the other black comedians that followed. Our first track we're going to play off the album In Living Black and White by Dick Gregory is called Comedians of the 60s. Whenever he pauses and reflects upon his short career, Greg can't help but realize the responsibilities facing a humorist these days. So listen. What do you demand out of a comic today? Good story, good plot, psychological reasoning, and above all, we must be funny. 
<laughs> and you wonder why we're sick, huh? <laughs> 20 years ago, two comics walk on the stage and go something like this. Hey, man, who was that crazy chick I saw you with last night? Another guy said, man, that wasn't no chick, that was my wife. No, that's all of the joke, that's it. That's what they told 20 years ago. But you expect more out of us today, and we give you more. That's why we ask for more money. <laughs> hey, man, who's that crazy chick I saw you with last night? Man, it wasn't no chick, that's my brother. He just got a problem. <laughs> you want one? Very good. You know, a lot of people ask me, say, Greg, how come you always talk about the South? Well, I was born and raised down South. I can talk about it if I want to. Matter of fact, I was born so far South, had my mother taken one step back, I'd have been a Mexican. <laughs> Not that far. Born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, but we had our problems there. And then we'll forget, 1951, they integrated the swimming pools, and all our parents made us get out there, whether you could swim or not. Just go, get with them, go. Told my people, damn it, you want to be with them people? You go. Get me out there in all that water. <laughs> and I know they don't like me anyway. <laughs> and I can't swim. <laughs> but they were nice to us. <laughs> when I found out what happened, you didn't need to know how to swim. <laughs> They were real nice to us. They knew they had to integrate. They had a new lifeguard for us. He was blind. <laughs> it was a glorious day. We all walked out to that integrated swimming pool, diving board, 50 feet in there. We got up on that diving board. They blew the whistle. We jumped, and they drained the pool. <laughs> I'm really going to have to kind of cut my show short, because I have to leave here this morning and go down to North Carolina and sit in the restaurants. <laughs> I have a kid brother been sitting in the restaurant for six months, and like he's so damn sure he's not gonna get waited on, he don't even take no money with him. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if they served him and they broke? <laughs> hey, I sit in one of them restaurants, 11 months waiting on the integrate. The integrated didn't have what I wanted. <laughs> I went home down south all the way to Mississippi about six months ago to visit my brother, and the night before I got there, he, I didn't see him. No, I missed him forever. See, he was driving one of them pickup trucks and run through a red light and ran into a Ku Klux Klan parade. <laughs> He'd have been 27 tomorrow. <laughs> so I went down, you know, and heard the bad news and I started drinking, you know. And like when, whenever I get drunk, I think I'm Polish. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little hungry, so I walked in a restaurant, which was the wrong restaurant in Mississippi, which was wrong for me to do. Because they'll make you think World War II was a lawn party. But I walked in anyway, because I like lawn parties. Especially when I think I'm Polish. I walked in and thought I was defending them. I sit down, the blonde waitress walked over to me. I said, I'd like two cheeseburgers. She said, we don't serve colored people down here. I said, I don't eat colored people nowhere. <laughs> hey. And about that time when three brothers walked in, if you ever been to Mississippi, you know the three brothers I'm talking about. Clue, Cluck, and Clay. <laughs> Began walked up and kicked my chair. He said, boy, you know damn well you can't eat in here. I said, just for that, bring me a whole fried chicken. 
and say, boy, you can't eat that chicken in here, and whatever you do to that chicken in here, we gonna do to you. I say, for a dollar and a quarter? <laughs> I'm with integration, but don't rush it. <laughs> 20 minutes later, the waitress brought the chicken out and put it down in front of me. I, I was putting salt and pepper on it. He walked back up again and said, boy, by God, we already told you. Whatever you do to that chicken down here, we gonna do to you. I was feeling so good, I looked at him and told him, y'all line up, and I kissed it. <laughs> That's the one uh, Hugh Hefner heard him do in the Black Nightclub and inspired him to hire Dick Gregory to perform at the uh, Playboy Club. And it's no surprise because it's a great joke. It is a great joke. And, you know, the thing about Dick Gregory that is so groundbreaking, too, it included his opinions about racism and segregation and everything. But at the time, in 1961, he really couldn't come out and be so militant about it as he was later in his career. That's something I definitely noticed throughout this entire album. He starts by making jokes about integration, segregation, racism, but he doesn't take a strong stance either way. He gets the crowd to acknowledge that it exists and laugh about it first. Right. And then later on, he kind of gets more into having stronger opinions. And you know what he did? I mean, I read this also, that he had hired a comedy writer by the name of Robert Orban to write white jokes for him, white material for him, that he also still had to express himself, his, his opinions about being a black man in America. His comedy is very strong, very opinionated. And funny. Right. I've seen some of his writing about it, and he had mentioned he got uh, white joke books, and then he would kind of twist the joke, so they were still 80% white, but then 20% yes, black. I saw that. And he put yes. his own spin on everything, and it made it just a really unique style. Yes, he really did. And, uh, you know, he got people to laugh, and that was important. And while they were laughing, he was delivering his message. There's a lot of comedians that handle social satire and major issues, but he has such a good way of delicately going through it and not turning anyone off while talking about it. He opened the doors. He really did. As I keep saying, he's the Jackie Robinson of comedy. He opened the doors for all the other acts that followed. And everybody could be more opinionated and stronger in their feelings and their expressions and things. Thank you to Dick Gregory for doing that. Absolutely. But, you know, let's move on. I want to get to a second clip from this album, because this really is a classic album. It's a lot of fun to listen to, but this is a clip that, uh, I don't know, if Logan, you want to introduce this one? Yeah, so this is uh, another clip that handles uh, the politics of the day and just different topics that were going on at the time. It's called Thoughts on Outer Space. Like most young men, Dick Gregory in time began to think about space, outer space. Not the space on men's minds, but the space in their heads. You know, really, as a nation, we tend to worry too much. We worry about everything, and it's so wrong. We're wondering if Russia will make it to the moon before we will, or Russia make it to the stars before we will. So what? We'll be the first to give them foreign aid. <laughs> <laughs> That's what counts. We don't have to worry about them people. Wouldn't it be funny if Khrushchev really didn't hate us, his interpreters did? <laughs> <laughs> See, we're doing all right now. I'm not trying to say Russia's doing bad. It's put up one of them six flats. <laughs> Seven tons. But we're doing all right. Yeah, we got a satellite up there right now. One click, take a picture of the whole Earth. Now we're trying to find paper to print it on. <laughs> but to show you how far advanced we are, you ever think you see the day a mouse would look down at us and say, say cheese? <laughs> <laughs> we're doing all right. We just 
just worry too damn much. And like I said, we're doing all right in outer space. Up until a couple of weeks ago, they started lying to us. You read it in the papers, front page, picture, headlines, chimp returns. That's a lie. That wasn't no chimp. That was a man we sent up there. That's what he looked like when he got back. <laughs> they trying not to frighten those other six boys, you know. But we doing all right. We found out there somebody up there. They had a message come back the other day. Say, lady, for these monkeys and dogs, send some broads. <laughs> I volunteered to go to outer space. When Ike was president, I flew all the way to Washington. I said, Mr. Ike, can I, can I get on your outer space program? He said, what for? I said, well, I can't go to school down here. <laughs> Hell, they caught the U-2 plane spying, and everybody in America was shook up, so Ike said, we won't do no more spying, and 12 trench coat companies went out of business. <laughs> you know, I, that's why I like listening to these older, classic comedy albums. Because Dick Gregory there is talking about what's in the news, which was the space program. In 1961, they were trying to launch satellites. They hadn't even put a man in space yet. Yeah, and that's what I love about comedy in general, is you're kind of hearing the everyday person's view of what's going on at that time. So you're not hearing, like, the History Channel's interview from generals or top scientists. This is just the everyday person and what they're seeing in the news. Yeah, and, you know, they kind of—they do influence each other— with this, again, starting with Mort Saul, you know, he went on stage with his newspaper. He was talking about what's going on in the news. Dick Gregory is doing the same thing. He's commenting on what is going on in society right then and there. And he was just talking about the outer space. But again, he brought in the fact of being a black man in America. He couldn't go to school down here, so maybe he can go to space. I think that comparison to Mort Saul is a perfect lead-in to our next clip. This is Congo Daily Tribune. A very pleasant good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And here in the famous Chicago Playboy Club, we present a man, a young man, a humorist, who faces the realities of our time with a smile on his mobile face. Ladies and gentlemen, Dick Gregory. See, I wish you'd read all the papers. You know, you've been reading these local papers, you know, calling me the Negro Mark Saul. You have to read... In Congo papers and see what they call him Mark Saul, the white Dick Gregory. Don't you? <laughs> Since I've been on the Jack Parr show, everybody's been asking me what is Jack Parr really like. You know, I'm trying to find out who I am. <laughs> yeah, they can call me Bob Newhart, Shelley Berman, Mark Saul. And a couple of, I'm so confused being three white boys and myself, I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, the way things go in 10 years from now, you have to be my color to get a job. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank you very wonderful people in the audience who have talked about my act and come back and bring your friends with you. And through doing this, you push me right up into the eyes of the internal revenue. <laughs> That's Dick Gregory, and uh, he's talking about getting well-known. <laughs> Internal revenue, you made him famous now, his audiences, and he's going to have to be careful. The one thing he brought up was the uh, Jack Parr show, which is something is very interesting in the legacy of Dick Gregory, the comedian. Yeah, it might be one of the most pivotal parts of his comedy story, at least. Yes, I agree, all the way. Jack Parr was the host of The Tonight Show, he came on after Steve Allen and before Johnny Carson. In those days, just like with the Carson show, if a comedian was on the Jack Parr, 
Tonight Show, it would open the door for millions of people to see him. Of course, their price went up. They got to perform in all the great clubs. But a big deal was made of sitting on the couch. Right. That's what you wanted because that showed that not only did the host think you were funny, but it told him or told the rest of the country that he thinks you're worth knowing. Yes. And Dick Gregory didn't know this right away. He was a big fan of the Jack Parr. He's often seen in interviews saying he just watched Jack Parr. He wanted to be on the show. That was his goal. That was his goal. And it wasn't pointed out to him until a little bit later. A friend of his says, you notice on the Jack Parr Tonight Show, none of the black performers are allowed or invited to sit on the couch next to Jack Parr. They're only the white performers. Right. He would have people come on and perform, do songs, do stand-up, but they never got to actually come over and talk for a few minutes. And it broke Dick Gregory's heart because he wanted to be on that show, but he realized he couldn't do it. That's not right. It's not fair. And so when the producer of The Tonight Show called him and said, we're interested in you being on the show. We'd love to have you come on as a guest. He turned it down. He turned it down. Again, it was heartbreaking for him. I think he couldn't even admit to tell his wife or anyone that he just couldn't do it for this reason. And finally, Jack Parr himself called Dick Gregory and said, why won't you come on my show? And Dick Gregory said, because you don't invite black people to sit on a couch. And Jack Parr, for his point of view, I guess, maybe he didn't realize that. Maybe it wasn't pointed out to him that way. Maybe the producers had something to do with it. But Jack Parr right away said, that's crazy. Yes, you come over and sit on a couch, of course. So Dick Gregory agreed to go on. Yeah, from the way that Dick Gregory tells the story, it definitely sounds like Jack Parr didn't realize what was even happening. It just wasn't something that occurred to him. After that, there were so many thousands of phone calls and letters to the station from both white viewers and black viewers, mainly because what he did was when he talked about, well, they said they didn't know Negro children were the same as white children, that they had the same experiences, the same personalities, the same whatever. I mean, again, we're, we're so far back in this days of segregation. Yeah, it's heartbreaking to think about, but going back to that time, this just wasn't a thing that people saw, and it really bridged a gap. It really, truly did. It maybe started building an understanding between the races, is what it was, between the white viewers and the black viewers, that they really weren't that different. And Dick Gregory went on to appear on The Tonight Show, I don't know how many times, a lot of times. Over 20 times, at yeah. least. Yeah, he became one of the one of the most popular guests that Jack Parr had on there. And, of course, it allowed Dick Gregory to perform all around the country in the big venues and became very famous. It opened doors for plenty of other performers as well. Yes, yes, that is true. I want to continue with this because we're exploring Dick Gregory's album In Living Black and White from 1961. So here's Dick Gregory, not poor, just busted. Like every young man, Greg has had his troubles. No job and no money. Yeah, I had a little trouble one time. I went to see the doctor. Put me on the couch and started me talking. Now he's doing my act in St. Louis. <laughs> well, I come all the way up from the south to get a job, and the fellow interviewing me said, How far did you go to school? I said, About three miles. <laughs> I got the job. Best job I've ever had in my life. All I had to do was throw mail. <laughs> guy walked up and said, hey, how long you been working here? I said, about 45 minutes. He said, you know darn good and well, you never learned how to throw mail that fast in just 45 minutes. I said, buddy, I could do better than this if I could read. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the day I walked in your office? That was three days before that they fired me. <laughs> he sent me a letter. I got the letter, carried it home, read it. Come back in about three days. I looked at him and said, what the world are you doing here? I said, well, I'll come back to work. 
Oh, you mean you come back to work? We fired you. Didn't you get the letter? I said, yeah, I got the letter. He said, you read it? I said, I read it inside and out. He said, if you read the letter, what you come back for? I said, the inside of the letter said, dear Mr. Gregory, you fired. The outside said, return in three days, so here I am. <laughs> Best job I've ever had in my life. Best job I've ever had in my life. And I got fired again. <laughs> I just gave it up that time. <laughs> Flew out to the West Coast and got me a job working for a wine company. <laughs> Good job. The way I like wine and they pay me. <laughs> All I had to do was take off my shoes and socks and step on grapes. <laughs> I got fired. They called me sitting down on the job. <laughs> See what happened? Here's a woman steal $2 million from a bank. And the federal government stepped in and told the people in Sheldon, Iowa, don't worry, the bank was insured. We'll pay the $2 million back. Now, have you ever known the government to come out behind? <laughs> they told them, they paid the $2 million back. What happened? They rounded up all them big boys on that antitrust. And wasn't that a coincidence they find them $2 million? <laughs> <laughs> read the paper. She got 15 years in jail. That means she do five and she's out. Three. Three. Yeah, you know about all that. <laughs> well, this is, this is where it is, you know. Oh, don't get upset. You come in. How'd you like if I come on your job and knock the shovel out your hands? <laughs> you read the papers and you... How are you? Mm. All right. Trying to get you to shut up like trying to explain integration to a lynch mob. <laughs> uh, those are some tough uh, heckler put-down lines he's using there, Dick Gregory. Yeah, one thing he doesn't get enough credit for is how good he is at working with the crowd and working against the crowd if he needs to. Yeah, I think that really came... He worked some tough clubs on his way up. I'm pretty sure he had a lot of experience at crowd work. When he moved into the more, what you might want to call it, the more upscale crowds he would get at the Playboy Club, I'm sure he had no problem handling them. And a lot of the quips that he came up with with the crowd ended up working their way into his normal sets. Now, one thing we haven't talked about yet that I do want to make sure we touch on is this narration style that we're hearing before every clip. You know, I was wondering about that because it's so different from other comedy albums. It's a fascinating way to do it. From what I learned, it was actually a narrator named Alex Dreer, who was a famous Chicago television personality. Okay. He's a newscaster in the area who actually did a lot for civil rights and other big movements at the time. Well, I wonder why they had to do it on the Dick Gregory album. That always kind of confused me with this. Because you listen to other comedy albums, even from the early 60s, late 50s, they never had a narrator. I wonder if it was just trying to be maybe artistic. It definitely makes him seem very important. If you've never heard of Dick Gregory before, you hear this narrator and you think it's someone you need to hear. You know, that's a very good uh, point of view there. And they call him Greg. He had one quote about Dick Gregory that I think sums up his act very well, which is, There is no problem so serious that it cannot be leavened with humor. This is Dick Gregory's credo. I'm going to listen to another clip from this album. It's called 50,000 Feet Up and No Insurance. Not too long ago, Greg went up on a plane for the first time. He has some conclusions about plane travel. I got on one of them jet planes flying back here to Chicago and 
everything happened on the plane. It was just three of us on the plane, Polly, co-pilot, and myself. So I kind of dozed off and went to sleep. The co-pilot comes shaking me, say, buddy, buddy, wake up. I said, wake up for what? He said, I just want you to know the pilot's the last one to leave the plane. I said, what you telling me about it for? He said, he jumped 10 minutes ago. <laughs> he looked at me talking about what you going to do about it. I said, buddy, I just did it. <laughs> <laughs> time I get on an airplane, something happened. I was flying back from Europe not too long ago, and everything happened. Pilot turn the radio on, and friends, when the pilot turn the radio on one of them planes and talk to you about trouble, forget it. That's a record. He's already jumped. <laughs> <laughs> he turned the radio on and said, ladies and gentlemen, in benefit of saving the lives of 127 persons aboard this plane, three of you people will have to jump. <laughs> so I'd like to repeat, three of you men will have to jump in order to save everyone aboard this plane. Everybody looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> If they knew what I knew, <laughs> they wouldn't be looking at me. Because I'd already figured out who them three was going to be. <laughs> but they kept looking. I had to explain to the guy sitting there, man, I don't even jump out my bed. <laughs> By that time, fellow stood up. He says, I'm from France. In the name of France, in order to save everyone aboard this plane, people of France, I'll jump and walk to the door. And he jumped. <laughs> By that time, that little delicate fellow stood up. He says, I'm from England, in the name of the Queen. Long live the Queen. In order to save everyone aboard this flight, I'll jump. And he walked to the door. <laughs> sure enough, he jumped. <laughs> I'm sitting back there wondering who that other nut going to be. <laughs> By that time, big tall fellow stood up, blocked his hat, looked around, said, I'm from Texas. In the name of Texas, walked back to the door, picked up a Mexican. <laughs> Remember the Alamo. <laughs> and the guy was really Hawaiian. Yeah, that sums it all up, Dick Gregory, back in 1961. He was making a statement then. He became better known in the late 60s, early 70s, 80s for his activism because he did fight against racism and, and different things and segregation. And, and not just that, but also like, you know, I mean, like women's rights and fair pay, equal pay, different things going on. Worked with, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for equal rights, civil rights in the 60s. He was very active in that. He would turn down shows if there was a protest going on. It was more important for him to be at a protest. As time went on, he became much less of a performer or at least less of a comedian, and focused almost entirely on activism. And there's not many movements he wasn't a part of. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was even in the uh, late 60s, he ran for mayor of Chicago. He lost. And then naturally, immediately decided to run for president. Yes, he ran for president. Part of the push to get people to go out and vote for him was a campaign where he printed fake $1 bills oh, yes. with his face on it. Yes. And started passing them out. And the FBI had to start confiscating them. Because yes. they were so realistic that you could put them into a change machine and get four quarters. Yeah, you get all these Dick Gregory dollar bills and you put them in a change machine and get actual money for them. They're still out there, some of those. They're being sold as collector's items. Oh, yeah, you can I'm definitely sure get them. eBay and another part of the Dick Gregory legacy. But he went on to perform up until not too long ago. I think about 2017, he was still performing. And he would come out and he would do comedy first, almost like warming up the crowd a little bit. He would be very humorous and funny. Then he would do a message about what was going on in the world and how to fix this. For a while there, he shied away from comedy clubs themselves. He's 
a very strong anti-drug advocate to the point where he's also pretty strongly against alcohol. And in some interviews, he said for a while there, he didn't feel comfortable going to comedy clubs mm-hmm. because of that. People need to realize how strong his opinions, his voice was in the 60s. And to protest things, he would go on hunger strikes. So we've just listened to Dick Gregory's 1961 album, In Living Black and White. Right, his first comedy album. His very first, but that's not the only one. So if you still want to hear more, he's got over a dozen comedy albums spanning decades. He does, and he's written books, and, you know, he's all over YouTube. You can watch his speeches, some of the uh, things he talked about. But the bottom line is, Dick Gregory was a comedian to start out with, a very funny person, and it's really been a lot of fun to look back at what he was doing all those years ago that no one else was doing at the time. It's one of those albums that was great then, and it's great now. It's classic now. It's a classic. All right, Logan, I hope you had a good time today. I know I did. I had a lot of fun, Dave. Thanks for having me back. Well, it was good to see you. And thank you for listening. This has been What's So Funny. I'm your host, Dave Schwenson. And I'm Logan Rishaw, and thank you for listening to What's So Funny. Yes, thank you very much. And as always, keep laughing. Thanks for listening to What's So Funny. That's all we have for you for now. Be sure to check back in for the next season of Comedy Classics. Special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya, producer Sarah Wilgroup, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.